Hello, welcome to Very Good Television Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Lizwood on the Twitter. And I'm Ben Travers at Ben T. Travers on the Twitter. And we're IndieWire's TV team here to talk to you about TV and very specifically today, the shows that we're looking forward to returning this fall. There are a lot of television shows coming back this fall, and that is both great news and, I mean, pretty good news. It means we have to watch a lot of TV, which is only pretty good, but it's great because of, you know, just how great some of these shows are coming back. Yeah, I mean, Ben and I both, when we were brainstorming our lists for these epi- for this episode, like, we both have, like, like, eight or nine things that we're looking forward to seeing come back in some form or another. Yeah, and I do not have time to talk about all of them, so just everybody give Gotham a second chance, make sure you're watching Bob's Burgers, and don't forget about Kingdom on DirecTV. <laughs> not to mention Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Last Man on Earth, Heroes Reborn, Windy Project, and a little sci-fi show called Continuum that no one watches but me. That's entirely true. I support all of those things she just said. Yes, but... Yeah, so that's that. Those are those were the those did not make the cut. Uh, we do have a few, however, that did make the cut. Ben, what's uh, one of your picks that you're looking forward to returning? All right, so the first one on my list, uh, like coming back time, like just you know, in logical real person time on September 22nd, Tuesday night, season two of Fresh Off the Boat premieres, and I gotta say, as somebody who did not give it enough credit during season one, mainly because. It kind of slipped through the cracks. I didn't catch up with it until maybe towards the end of that first season. I got. I am fully on board with this show. I completely support what they're doing. I love everything about it. Uh, Constance Wu at the center of this is fantastic, but all of the people surrounding her are equally good. Randall Park. I mean, can't enough good things can't be said. So I just I I have to encourage everybody who has kind of steered away from broadcast TV of late. It's worth watching Fresh Off the Boat week to week, whether you're going online whenever you want to or tuning in on Tuesday nights. Yeah, that's one I should remember to add to my DVR because, like you said, it's, I think, especially towards the end of the season, really figured out how to be the kind of, how to be like a show that's very specific in terms of what it's portraying. It's a period piece set, it's a period piece about an Asian American family, but it's also such a great family show in general. It's a great example, too, of the fact that period pieces now can be from the 1990s, which just yeah, seemed like a ridiculous idea to me before this happened, but it just works brilliantly. Let's not focus on that because of how some of us were alive in the 1990s and remember them pretty well. The only 1990s period piece I want to discuss is any potential flashback episodes of The X-Files. Oh, yeah. Support that. Yep. Any- All right, Liz, what about you? What do you got on your list? I, well, let's see, chronologically, or I don't know if this is actually the next thing that I'm looking forward to, but Brooklyn Nine-Nine ended its first se- second season, rather, on a really interesting note or two, uh, made some sh- uh, status quo changes, and in a way that, oh, I'm, I mean, in a way that basically implies real upheaval for the third season, which premieres at some point soon. Again, I don't know the chronological orders of things. Uh, <laughs> the important point, though, about Brooklyn Nine Nine is that the, with the creative team behind that, came, you know, with the creative team that includes folks from Parks and Recreation, I actually have faith that it's not going to be a quick reset of whatever they've do- of the things that they did at the end of season two to cause a new world order, so to speak. So I think seeing what where Brooklyn Nine Nine goes and seeing if it maintains the same level of comedy that it demonstrated in the first two seasons is going to be really cool. It's still one of the best ensembles on television. 
Oh, absolutely. And and I love the idea that you're talking about, like the, the fact that they took the captain, Andre Brower, out of the precinct. And I completely agree. I don't think they're going to just use that as something they reset right off the bat because, I mean, these guys have proven, Michael Schur and everybody, they've proven that they can extend these kind of things and make them pay off in bigger ways than just kind of a, a, a goofy season finale uh, and then a reset in episode one of season three. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited to see what they do with that too. That's still a show that because of the cast and because of the people who are behind it, I every time I watch it, I think this should have been about 20% better, but that's not a good reason not to watch it. Yeah, I mean, the fact is season one of that show is maybe one of the better season ones of a comedy ever, and admittedly this is because doing a season one of a comedy is incredibly hard to pull off well. But, Agreed, yeah. And it's still, it was one of those things where after the first season, I was like, okay, season two is going to be that much better. And then after season two, which was a little bit better even, I was like, okay, now season three is going to be that much better, and I'm hoping they keep improving just at a slightly faster pace. Well, I think something I feel worth mentioning is the fact that I, it's not an easy genre they're trying to pull off. This is not, it's, it's, they, they kind of are doing an office comedy, but a cop comedy is really tricky beasts, especially tonally, like with the kind of crimes that people are investigating and the actual danger that real cops are in and also the uncertain nature of the, of the American public's relationship with the police force that is oh so simple and uncomplicated and full of, free of controversy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what you're talking about, Liz. This is obviously an easy task. Yes, totally easy and flawless. So applause to them for taking it on. And yeah, I'm looking, but again, season three, I have high, I have high hopes and hopefully they will be met. Absolutely. So Ben, keeping this going, we're getting, doing great. We've got a lot of energy. I've been drinking a lot of coffee today. <laughs> What's your next pick? All right. My next pick is one that, uh, I think got a lot of attention last year. Um, Homeland, when it came back for season four, after what a lot of people saw as a pretty disappointing season three, an idea that was kind of cemented in people's minds when it missed out on the Emmys nomination for Best Drama Series, which it had gotten in the first two years, won one of the years. Uh, you know, that was a big step down. And frankly, rebooting, so to speak, without one of their main cast members last season, it just proved a pretty risky proposition. But it paid off. They did a fantastic job with season four. It was one of the better orchestrated ep- or seasons of television I've seen, and that includes as when I was doing my episode reviews, that I was criticizing it a bit for getting slightly repetitious. And that was only because I didn't see where they were going with it. Uh, there was an episode where they made a decision about kind of bringing somebody back as kind of a fake cameo. That, some, that was one thing that didn't work for me that well. But otherwise, it was a pretty flawless season of television, which makes me so much more excited for season five. And season four is currently nominated at the Emmys for uh, Best Drama Series. So, I mean, they're back in that game. They've got their validation. Hopefully the fans, you know, stick around and we keep getting more great episodes of Homeland. Yeah, I mean, we'll see. I I think that from what I've, from what I've read about the upcoming season, they're doing a similar thing to season four where they're doing, like, it's a new location, new status quo for Carrie. And I think not being afraid to switch things up has paid off for them before. I can see it paying off again. Oh yeah, they've made a big decision in this upcoming season to jump forward in time two years, which after the events that ended season four is a pretty drastic shift. I mean, it's definitely something that you can see how it would work and how it might play out. 
And the idea of Carrie leaving the CIA and then kind of drawing her back in is a very tempting one, uh, especially given kind of her pseudo-addiction to the job um, and then also her ob obvious moral trepidude and, and issues with, with that sort of thing. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I have nothing but high hopes for this. I admittedly was one of those guys going into season four thinking maybe that Homeland was on the downswing, but they've picked it right back up. So I I'm, I'm, can't wait to see what they do this year. So, meanwhile, uh, I'm gonna I'm jumping forward to my next pick, which is not necessarily a show I think will be great, especially upon returning. But I'm very interested to see what happens with season three of is it season it is season three of Sleepy Hollow, because uh, you know season one of Sleepy Hollow is some of the more enjoyably bonkers TV I've ever watched. Unfortunately, season two got really bogged down by a couple of factors. They introduced a new character who didn't really work. Um, a lot of the, you know, the adding the pat, the extra episodes that were added to the order kind of ended up bogging things down. It just, it's a very disappointing season of television compared to how much fun the sec the first one was and creatively behind the scenes. They've made some big changes. Uh, they've, you know, they've shed a few cast members. The showrunners have left, um, though I don't know, I don't believe they were the original, original showrunners. And so season three of Sleepy Hollow could be basically the show's death knell, or it could be an opportunity for it to recover. I'm very interested to see what happens. I'll say that. Yeah, which side of that it lands on is going to be interesting. And that's kind of the interesting thing to me about the show in general. It's one of those uh, broadcast, I guess, dramas, but, you know, a little bit, a little bit different than, you know, your straight drama. <laughs> Uh, but it's it's one of those that after that first season, it really kind of surprised some people and took off in its own regard and built up this kind of solid fan base. But it was still struggling a bit at the ratings. And then season two, it was kind of on the bubble at the end of it as to whether or not it would get picked up. And it did. So now what they do for season three, like how much they change to try to lure in more viewers, how much they change to try to go back to what they were in season one, or you know if they're just going to push forward with whatever they had in mind from the beginning – It'll be very interesting to see how that develops. Yeah, I mean, the thing with this show is that it it could be so many different things. And the, the fact is, like, the, the real joy of it in the first season was how crazy it got and how ridiculous some of the things it tried to pull off were. And that's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm looking for. I want that, and I want Ichabod Crane to be befuddled by technology. That is my favorite thing ever. <laughs> yeah, I, that was that video you sent me of him like reading the what was it the sticky notes? That oh, was yes. one of the that that's, was, one of the, was the, great. That was that's like one from one of the very first episodes uh, yeah. of of the show. And admittedly, like I think part they cut they pulled back on that a little bit just because they wanted him to be believable and. You know, he did. See, he's a he's a real trooper. He really did try to get back into this, get into the swing of modern technology and so forth. But yeah, we'll see how uh, we'll see how it shakes out. I like I said, I'm interested, and it's always really like a show like that where, in theory, people involved know that they need to make some changes. Seeing how they ha approach them is going to be really cool. Also, it'll be interesting to see if they use my friend Lauren's idea. Uh, Lauren had this amazing idea that I'm just gonna—I'm gonna keep putting out into the universe, which is that at some point Nicole Bahari's character gets sucked back into Ichabod Crane's time, mm. original time, and then has to, you know, re, re, re become friends with him and also cope with modern day technology. Also cope with a, uh, you know, revolutionary era warrior technology. 
Yeah, I, that's a great idea. How have they not done an episode like that yet? I don't know. I mean, I, they, you know, I, I think they maybe have done like flashbacks and weird things like that, but nothing, nothing, nothing like in like where it's the main thrust of the narrative. And the thing is, there's no, there, it's like Sleepy Hollow is a crime procedural. It's not like they have to, you know, solve a solve a case every week. Like they could do something ridiculous like that. Yeah, I think it would be uh, kind of the perfect thing for for fans who are who are clawing for that kind of uh, atmospheric, what have you. I mean, I, I, it sounds like something that I would have seen in, in in a show that's being described the way you described season one. It's mm-hmm. it's a little bit crazy, it's a little bit out there, but it's fun as hell, and that's what kind of got people hooked. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, we'll see. Ben, what's an, what's another another? Uh, you're, uh, gosh, we're doing great. What's a, a show a returning show you're looking forward to? Yeah, we're booking through these at, at a rapid rate, which is kind of shocking to me, considering how long winded I usually am. And now you can see that I'm doing it again right now. But uh, my last pick is one that you've heard me talk about just endlessly. I'm sure you're all sick of it. I, I, we probably have lost listeners because of it, but I don't care because I will keep talking about it until everyone in the world is watching The Leftovers. Season 2 premieres October 4th, Sunday night. Be there on HBO. I'm pretty sure it's 9pm Eastern. Be there. Watch it. Binge the whole first season if you can stomach it in that one take. Otherwise, settle in. You know, you've got plenty of time to space it out a little bit. It is one of the best television shows on TV right now, without a doubt. It's been on all of our lists ever, ever since it came out. Best new show, best top ten of the year, top ten of the like half season, like everything that we've come up with. The Leftovers is always on there. I am much louder about it than Liz is, but Liz, I know that you love it too. Oh, I don't know. What's, what's <laughs> The Leftovers? <laughs> oh, do you want me to explain it again? <laughs> no. I'd be happy to. Oh, Oh man! Well, I, I'm actually it's, it's it's funny Ben brings up the leftovers because oh my goodness, this week I watched a whole lot of the leftovers. I rewatched the first season and then uh, maybe kind of sort of watched the first three episodes of season two. Uh, so mm-hmm. yes, uh, and I don't recommend binge watching the leftovers. Oh, you'll be fine. Don't be a baby about it. I'm Ben. I'm sad, like a no. lot. I'm very sad. Oh, you're fine, Liz. Everything's great. Come on, is it's okay. It, is it, is yeah. everything great? I don't know. I feel like we're all kind of caught in this endless quest for meaning in a world that cares not for our wants or feelings. Well, sure, but once you identify that and you understand it and you realize that there's no escaping it, then you feel more comfortable with it. So if you just throw yourself into the deep end of the pool, let out a, a, just a tremendous scream you're going to rise to the top and feel a lot better. So all I have to do is just embrace the inevitable onslaught of darkness and oblivion. Okay. If you, if you think about it, Liz, all of the great television shows are about accepting the fate that's coming to us. Mad Men, Breaking Bad, The Leftovers, everything about those covers everything we just talked about. And what, it's what, fantastic. What about Friends? Well, Friends is a sitcom. It's it's much more uh, past that point. They all realized it, and now they're just having a good time. So Friends applies, but only kind of in the latter half of the argument. Yeah. The Leftovers is a good show. Great show. Best show on TV. Everybody tune in. <laughs> Liz, what about you? What, what, what do you have that's obviously not as good as The Leftovers, but maybe people want to watch on another night? Uh, 
isn't another night yet yeah, it is another night uh our good friend fargo year two it's not don't call it season two friends it's a year two or i mean you're gonna call it season two we're all calling yeah. it season two Fact. but, if, but uh Yes, if, if, if you happen to be on perhaps the set of Fargo at some point in the recent past, you would note the uh, you would note that they all the signage and so forth was referring to it strictly as year two. Um, but yes, Fargo returns October 12th. I actually remember that one and on Monday evenings. Uh, and it's it's a very different show. Having watched the premiere, uh, I can say it's they're trying something very different from the first season. It's a lot more influenced by the fact that it's taking place in the 1970s. Uh, it's got it's got some flair, if you will. Um, <laughs> it's got some flair, and it's got an incredible cast. Uh, you know, uh, Patrick Wilson, Ted Danson. You've heard you've heard all these names already, probably. Jesse Plemons, Kirsten Dunst who actually fits really well on TV for someone who I've always pretty much exclusively thought of as a movie star. Oh, yeah. I, actually, that's, that's a good point because after, you know, kind of growing up seeing her on the big screen with stuff like Bring It On and, like, just a, a ton of other movie roles where she was kind of just a film star, yet somehow as soon as she popped up in, like, the casting discussion for this, and then you know the first teaser trailer, the trailers, all that, all that kind of thing. It just she just fits. Like she just she fits the mold now of kind of the prestige television that's out there. And and keep in mind, this casting battle is is often compared like everything to do with Fargo to True Detective. So when they announced you know Kirsten Dunst, Ted Danson, you know that's a huge get. That's a that's a really those are both really big names, even compared to what's going on over at HBO. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's it's certainly it's certainly on par with Taylor Kitsch. Um, T Kitsch. T Kitsch. Love him. I'm not even sure I'm saying his name right. I just, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it's gonna be really interesting to see Fargo come back uh, and do something it's something very different from what it did in its first season, but something that's kind of by definition by whatever definition you want to apply to Fargo, very Fargo y. Yeah, that's probably as good as you can as good as you can do in less than a thousand words to describe the tone of Fargo. And and you know, I, I've I haven't watched that first episode yet. It's been sitting there waiting for me to get to it and I've just gotten so many other reviews and stuff to cover. But everything that I've heard about it, everything that we've seen in the trailers definitely speaks to that tone, which is such an important aspect of the show. Like and again, it, it, like comparing it to True Detective, True Detective lost its tone from the first season. None of that was there anymore. And they tried to go in a completely different direction, sure. But, I mean, when you grow to love something on television and you get that follow-up year or season or whatever you want to call it, it's important to hold on to that, at least in some slim regard. And that was disappeared from HBO. I'm hoping that FX held on to it for Fargo, and, and so far it seems like they have. Well, I think the important thing to note about Fargo Year Two versus Fargo Year One is that they are trying to. There is a, a a connective. There is connective tissue between the two, and not just sure. based on the fact that the characters are they're they're working off the same world of characters, but they aren't trying to do the exact same thing over and over again. They are trying to be a different, a slight, a slightly different, and slightly more offbeat in their approach, which I think is you know, exactly the way that a show should creatively evolve. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a different but connected, untrue, true crime story. Yes. Man, 
Ben, we could actually talk about some of the other shows that uh, we're looking forward to. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I was in a big battle when I was trying to narrow this down to three, and uh, there was one show that, that just missed the cut, which I really do strongly believe in, and I hope more people kind of get onto it. I was so glad it got picked up for season two, which I mentioned earlier, which is Kingdom. Um, and that's it's a DirecTV audience network exclusive television show. Uh, I'm pretty sure the first season is available on DVD and, and like, maybe iTunes or something right now, but uh, it just doesn't get a lot of pub because the viewership is so much smaller. It's so you know relegated to this one distinct group of people who subscribe to DirecTV. Um, but, I mean, it's it's a top-tier original drama. Like, it, it really works well. It's, it's technically about a family living in Venice, California, who, uh, who, who are heavily involved in, in MMA. Like they just the, the the dad is a veteran who's one of the best ever. He's now in the gym. He's training, uh, you know, like a youngster. His his two of his sons are both fighters. One's kind of on the good side. One's kind of on the bad side. Um, and then there's like a few extra characters that get thrown into the mix. And that doesn't make it sound all that appealing. But honestly, like the the story of this family and the development of these characters and kind of the gritty, raw way they capture it. They don't they don't fake it. It's not like some of those other you know, uh, new coming like oncoming original networks that are trying to create original series, and they kind of just try to make it look like the other shows. This has a distinct feel and very good cinematography and very good performances throughout. I mean, Frank Grillo uh, from Warrior and from Captain America, he's probably the lead. This man guy, Jonathan Tucker, is just astounding. Um, and then Matt Loria, who Friday Night Lights fans will remember as the Fours. Well, uh, he's 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 also great. It's it's a great cast. So I I, uh, I highly recommend if you get the chance to watch Kingdom, make sure you, you do. Yeah, I mean, you got to interview a few people involved with it during TCA's, right? No, I actually lost that. I, oh no! Uh, there was like a scheduling mix-up, and then we're still post. We're still on the books to do it soon. So I'll probably talk to them before the season two premiere, which is on October fourteenth. Uh, but uh, but no, I haven't got to t- I haven't gotten a chance to talk with them yet. They're I'm sure they're great though. Yeah, I was well. I was going to ask you if there was any anything specific you could tease about season two versus season one. Sadly, I cannot. I don't have screeners. I know that they just are starting to send out their promotional materials now, so I will soon. But um, honestly, I, I I don't see any reason for change. They were very happy with it at Directv. They're very happy with the performance and and everything else about it. So I would expect more of the same if you can get it if you've seen or you can get a chance to see season one. Okay, I mean, um, and I meanwhile, I'm going to take the opportunity to a I'm going to reveal that Sleepy Hollow returns to thir- to Fox Thursdays October first, and Brooklyn Nine Nine nice. re- returns on se- September twenty seventh on Sunday night at uh, eight thirty p.m. I feel bad about not That's having. Met information before, and now I have it. Well, it's also pretty fitting too, because I—I uh, mean, Andy Samberg will be hosting the Emmys the weekend before, and then the very next week you tune in and see his show come back. Yeah, another show also returning uh, September twenty seventh is The Last Man on Earth, which I mentioned very briefly at the top of this. But you know, uh, that's a show where talking about creative evolutions has had a lot, has gone through a lot of change in its first season and second season. Uh, I actually, uh, in, in, in the chaos of TCAs, I'd forgotten this happened, but they actually handed out the scripts for the first episode 
so and you had to let it was very it was very uh very like you know they 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 wrote down my name when they handed it to me so i can't um, and so like if i tried to publish it online i'd get in trouble and i do not want fox mad at me <laughs> fox and i need no. to stay fox and i need to stay very good friends for at least a few more months uh but i can say the that keys to the kingdom over there yes uh, I can say though that Fox is looking uh, that that Last Man on Earth, it's you know continuing to it's continuing to push forward. It's continuing to try new things and uh, handle bringing in new characters and handle perhaps you know bringing in retur returning characters. There's a lot to, there's a lot of interesting potential in what they're doing, and I'm excited to see it, see more of it. Yeah, that's one of those shows that, I mean, whether you love it or, or I guess, I, I can't really imagine anybody hating it, but whether you love it or you don't like it, I mean, it's got its own flavor. It's got its own tone. It's got its own mission, really. Like, you can tell that it's going to push forward and keep doing what it's doing. Will Forte's mind is just all over that thing. His sense of humor is very specific and very much ingrained in that show, as like, obviously, as it has to be. Um, so, I yeah, that's, that's another one where I feel like I know what's coming in season two, yet at the same time, I have no idea where they're going to take it. Uh, it's interesting. Well, I, mean, I will say, I can see why people would hate The Last Man on Earth, and it really just comes down to disliking disliking Phil, Phil Miller, the lead character. Because they really did push him in an unlikable direction, as we've discussed before. And I find that really interesting for a show to do to its protagonist. But also, you know, another thing where we're going to have to... It, it, it affects the perception of it. Yeah, and it's, I mean, what you just spoke to is very much how my reaction was to the show. I had a lot of, like, internal pushback against this series, even though structurally, formally, what they were doing, I could I could very much admire that. So it's, it's hard for me even really disliking the central character to say negative things about the show itself. And I still am definitely going to come back and watch whatever happens in season two. So I guess that's, I can, I can see why somebody maybe would get turned off by it and then casually say that they hate the show. But if you if you mention some of the things that we've talked about to them, I'm pretty sure people would come around and at least be like, yeah, 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 no, I mean, that's good, but I still don't like it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting, like, talking about returning shows because it, you know, we, we as we say often between ourselves, there's no slow time. But this is an interesting, you know, period of time and just in general, like, where we're pulling... You know, we are we are still slightly beholden to the broadcast schedule. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean we I mean things have changed where you'll see shows pop up where before you wouldn't. I mean, there's shows in December now, Liz, December. which is just crazy. Crazy. But uh I know, right? That never happens. That never but, happens. Uh, but yeah, I mean it, it's definitely we're still very much adherent to this broadcast schedule. A lot of things are are still circling around. I mean even the Emmys. The Emmys happen when they do because of the broadcast schedule and shows will be released at the times they're released because they need to court the Emmy votes. I mean Mad Men is a great example of that. They've definitely, you know, targeted that kind of April date so that they've got a big marketing push leading all the way up until when you know people are talking about nominations and the last shows they remember watching, one of them is going to be Mad Men, and a lot of other shows do that too. A lot of other shows kind of structure it so they'll come out early enough, kind of like Homeland. They'll come out early enough where they'll be able to release DVDs or or start talking about the new season when the Emmys are going on. 
that way they can kind of have a, have a natural PR machine working uh, throughout the campaign. And, and yeah, it's all based around broadcast scheduling. Yeah. What's interesting is I, I remember I was thinking about how Better Call Saul, you know, with its late January premiere, like it was kind of off the beaten path to some extent for AMC, but it seemed to, I mean, it seemed to pay off really well for them in terms of, you know, awards recognition. Yeah, and that had a big that had a big boost because I mean, one Bob Odenkirk is pretty beloved, and uh, the show in and of itself being attached to something like Breaking Bad is going to just put it on the right people's radars. It doesn't hurt that there are a lot of white men in the Emmy, like in the TV Academy, uh, and that's just a show that is going to work directly for them. I mean, straight appeal, straight identification, no problem. Um, so that definitely, there was a lot of things helping that in addition to where it landed on the calendar. Sure. Fair, fair, uh, fairly put, good sir, fairly put. So. <laughs> uh, yes, as a white male, I, I feel comfortable saying all of those things. Uh, <laughs> but, Liz, we yep. have well covered what's coming in the fall, fall season. Yes. So let's move on to what's happening right now. All right, best thing next thing time, huh? Exactly. All right. What was the best thing you saw last week, Ben? Well, Liz, interesting that you should ask. The best thing I saw last week was a show called Hard Knocks, which huh? actually wrapped up its, oh God, I think it's the 10th season on uh, HBO. And this was, I think the full title is probably Hard Knocks uh, Training Camp with the Houston Texans. It's, it's the HBO series, uh, docuseries about going to camp with an NFL team. They always change up the team every year. You always get some inside access. You always get some kind of funny moments where the stars you watch on Sunday night are doing you know, crazy, stupid shit that you don't really expect them to do. And that paid off big time with this latest season. We got to see people like J.J. Watt, who, frankly, if you don't watch football or if you haven't heard of J.J. Watt, just Google him. He's like, it's just... He's just a wall. I mean, he's just, he's a giant human man. Like, I, I can't even, I can't even put it into words just kind of looking at, he, he's a physical freak. I mean, it's just, it's overwhelming. And seeing him kind of play bags in his backyard or, uh, you know, just kind of goof off with his teammates or talk about even his, his sleep schedule during the season, like all of these things are just very naturally empathetic moments that kind of draw you into the series and they kind of hope to work to make you forget that this guy is playing a sport that could lead to you know, CTE and, and, and horrible repercussions down the line, um, which is where the show kind of falters as a docuseries because it never addresses any of that. And I, I wrote a longer piece, so if you're interested in it, you can look at that, and we'll link to it on the show page. But, but really, if you, if you just Google that show and try to look up some highlights, you're going to have some fun with it. And that may be as far as you want to go if you're already a football fan. And if you're not, there's still some fun stuff in there to check out. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like fun. I know who J.J. Watt is because uh, the nice people at the league apparently have cast him in an episode or two. This is true. This is very true. Absolutely. Yes. So uh, I, I, I'm co-signing that. Uh, I'm, co-sign- I'm co-signing your pick, Ben, even though I have not watched <laughs> a single bit of the sportsing show. That's fine. I thank you for doing that. It means it means so much to me right now. And and please let tell tell me what your best thing was so I can co-sign that too. Well, my best thing 
was a show I also got around to writing about this week, even though it's been essentially, essentially it's existed since 2013 uh, in various uh, across various outlets. But there's this r- ridiculous comedy I've mentioned before on this podcast called Vicious, uh, on which airs originally aired originally on ITV is uh, being broadcast right now on PBS on Sunday nights, and it's Ian McKellen and Derek Jacobi playing a bitchy gay couple uh who love each other very much but are very angry but are very mean to each other all the time and it's a really funny show that is really weird and campy in its way but uh i finished watching season two this week and it really got to me uh there's some there's some there are some hard 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 events and some touching moments and it's it's very like i i got teary which given that I was also watching The Leftovers was just, <laughs> and also saw this video about this dog, this dog who was a rescue dog, uh, was a uh, search and rescue dog during 9-11. And this dog got a 16th birthday party uh, in New York. And it was really, it's really sweet. That dog had the best goddamn day. Um, Those aren't our dogs, Liz. Those oh, aren't our dogs. No, this one is our dog. And she had a really great day. <laughs> she had a really great birthday. <laughs> Fair enough. Because she's a hero dog. Like hero day? No, never mind. Sorry, I'm getting too deep into the leftovers. I, uh, I, I do fully endorse Vicious, though. Absolutely, everybody should check that out. I haven't seen it yet. It's literally the next thing on my queue. So, so yes. Yeah. I hopefully, yes hopefully next, hopefully next week you're telling me you're, 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 it's your pick as well. Right. We're just going to keep doing Vicious. We're going to have guests on after I watch Vicious, so that we can continue talking about it every week. Yes. So Ben, what's the next thing you're looking forward to? Uh, Liz, I, I don't really know why you keep asking me this. It's still, it's what, September, like, 13th when this is airing? That's 14th. I mean, less than a month, I guess, so it's closer. But, I'm, I mean, it's The Leftovers, Liz. I'm looking forward <laughs> to seeing The Leftovers just like you already have. I am... Someday, uh, someday, I, I, Ben. Uh, Some beautiful day you're going to get to watch The Leftovers Season 2. It's gotten to the point where I'm so excited to watch it that I'm almost a little scared to do it because it's rare that my expectations are as high as they are now. And I can't, I can't let them be crushed. I can't let them be... And there's no way The Leftovers would do that to me, which is what I keep reassuring myself. But, whew, I, I mean, it's going to be a day. I, I, I'm, 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 I'm happy for you. I'm going to be very happy for you the day that it finally happens. That's all I'll say. Well, thank you. Thank you, Liz. And, and please like share with us another thing that's coming out that you might, people might look forward to. I, I don't know. It could be one. <laughs> yes, yeah, so there is, there's life on the other side of the leftover season two, it turns out. Uh, however, you're the, saying. however, the thing I'm picking uh, for the next thing I'm looking forward to is really just, I, I don't know when I'm going to have time to watch this, but I really am. I really am try- looking forward to watching the, what is now the series finale of Under the Dome. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Good pick, Liz. I mean, I, I, I don't know if I'm going to understand anything that happened, but I, I've always kind of, I, I, as, as I've written before, I have a lot of fondness in my heart for the weird, weird TV that CBS is doing in the summer. And I am looking for, and Under the Dome kicked it off, and so I feel morally obligated to see how it ended. Yeah, and I mean, we haven't heard word whether or not Extant will be coming back for another season, so 
Ooh, that bonkers. And Zoo. We still don't know about Zoo. I mean, there's that, that bonkers TV could be at a pivotal moment right now. Yeah. All I know is that uh, Robert, uh, Robert and Michelle King are making a, uh, no matter what, there will be bonkers TV next summer on CBS because Robert, Michael, uh, Robert and Michelle King have a series called Brain Dead, I believe, uh, which is about uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead just got officially announced as the star of the show, and she's proving that aliens have eaten the brains of our politicians. Oh my god! Oh my! Oh my god! Mary Elizabeth Winstead, you're going from PBS to CBS like the most drastic tonal shift you could imagine. Oh god, it's gonna be so great. Oh boy, good luck. Only an actress of the quality of Mary Elizabeth Winstead slash anyone who's worked in the Die Hard series could handle such a switch. <laughs> I was going to, I was trying to think of what, what was going to be your Mary Elizabeth Winstead touchstone. And of course it's die hard. Live free or die hard. You bet. Good Lord. She was actually a pretty convincing daughter of John McClane. I, I bought her as that. Well cast and brilliantly acted. As any, as, as are all the die hard films. Very well. No, not the fifth one. God, that was atrocious. I think that's a great note to leave off on. Uh, as always, you can read what we write about television at IndieWire.com. That includes reviews, features, interviews about all of your favorite shows. Plus, sometimes we post trailers. You like trailers. Trailers are great. You should watch trailers. Them. Trailers are great, especially trailers for The Leftovers. But if you want to listen to some people talk about things that aren't The Leftovers, then make sure to tune into our other podcasts, which include Screen Talk, with Eric Cohn and Ann Thompson talking all things uh, movies from, from the big budget blockbusters to the tiny little indies that you may miss out on if you don't listen, so make sure you do. And then uh, Dana Harris, our editor-in-chief, also hosts IndieWire Influencers, talking to some of the most influential people in the biz, and uh, she does that every Monday, so tune into that too. I think someone whose name rhymes with Mamalaja Wood is, is coming up soon. Yeah, I Man, I have no idea who that could be, but that's a good tease, Liz. Good tease. I tried. Uh, and as always, <laughs> you can find Ben on Twitter at Ben T. Travers. And you can find Liz at Lizlet with an I and an E. That is correct. So we'll be back next week. Uh, Emmy is week. We're going to be reacting to the Emmy Awards as uh, Emmy Awards announcements, which will be fun. Fun times, I imagine. If you don't hear us talking about John Hamm winning his first Emmys on the next podcast, there may not be another podcast, or it will just be me screaming into the void. But the void, we, we, we're embracing the void, Ben. <laughs> well, that's true. It may trigger it, though. Between that and the leftover, I, it may just be a wild storm. Uh, the important thing is, you guys, keep watching television.